Welcome to Beyond the Art, where creativity knows no bounds and innovation takes center stage. Join us on a captivating journey through the realms of the Native American art world, exploring the untold stories, inspirations, and the sheer brilliance that fuels the world of indigenous artistry. to be on the art and today we have as a guest greg deal welcome to the show greg hi thanks for having me absolutely well let's just kick start it and jump right into it and have you tell us a little about your journey and your art that you create and a little bit about your cultural heritage yeah um all right uh well my name is uh greg deal uh was raised in park city utah where my Parents made just enough money for us to be broke around rich white folks and um, <laughs> strange upbringing, um, but uh, but unique, I suppose. Um, in that time frame, um, really only felt like that I was attracted to and and um, felt comfortable around art, and so everything was comic books and uh, drawing um, to the detriment of my grades and, and everything else. Um, but it was always something that was always there. Um, I uh, took some time off, I guess, from doing a lot of that stuff, trying to figure things out. My father uh, kicked me out when I was about 17 years old um, and uh, spent some time competing, uh, snowboarding, because it was a ski resort town um, and teaching. and. Um, self-medicated pretty heavily during that time and uh, decided to get clean and moved away, kind of quit everything uh, cold Turkey and met my wife in her last, her last year of school. And I hadn't even started college yet. Um, when, when I got out of the house, I wanted to go to college, but um, colleges don't consider you to be independently or financially independent until you're 23. And uh, my parents wouldn't give me their tax information. And so um, I was just going to wait. So I had uh, moved to a college town at about 23, met my now wife. She was in her last year. Uh, I waited to go to school and um, she graduated and we packed the car and drove across the country to Washington, D.C., where she grew up and uh, went to work. And I went to school. I went to George Mason University in Northern Virginia. And we lived in D.C. Uh, for almost 17 years uh, which is where I went to school for painting, um, sort of rekindling my love for creating, and uh, made my bones in Washington, D.C. Uh, moved to Colorado about eight years ago and mm. uh, have been here ever since. I've got five kids, been married for a solid 24 years uh, plus, and um, work in painting, uh, made sort of a name for myself in performance art um do murals and uh music and uh video or or film work um conceptual work uh i mean i'm kind of everywhere with everything to be perfectly <laughs> honest um, so i was just say multimedia uh artist what inspired you to become an artist and was there any specific uh experience or moment that sparked your creative journey that you said this is the path i'm going to take you know i i i knew you know that i had a little bit of talent. Um, and I, yeah, I even take pause to say that because I know, um, I'm not usually the, the most talented person in the room. There's always somebody more talented than me and to which I'm grateful. Cause that always challenges me when I was in high school, there was about three of us that were like three, uh, artists or guys that could draw really well and could paint and things. And, um, and I was one of the three, uh, probably the bottom of the, of the three. Um, when I, left home um it was under duress and i had to abandon sort of everything um and so the practicality of of spending any amount of time drawing was sort of part of that um i did some graffiti uh was mm -hmm. getting into that i was doing some mural work um but really it was just sort of like a uh you know the the sort of flash in the pan moments of creating something and then never going back to it um so when i when i finally got to college um Jeez, I went in as a filmmaker and I took all the film classes, uh, all the core classes. And my wife was trying to convince me that it wasn't a practical uh, path to be a filmmaker. Um, 
and in, in the middle of that, I, I took like, after my first year, I took a, um, like an art one one class and, um, and we go in and we're doing things and, and the teacher immediately recognized that, you know, I was, uh, pretty comfortable with what I was doing. I had done mm. some of this stuff before it's, it's basic art. Um, and really spent time to encourage me to, to pursue it. And I looked at the program and for those sort of practical reasons, I looked at graphic design and was like, that's, that's a good way for me to go. Um, thinking that that would be more practical, but it would also give me an opportunity to sort of revisit art program. And in that art program, you know, you got to take painting classes and drawing classes. And I, and I became uh, properly obsessed with all these other mediums. Um, I took all the graphic design courses um and was doing well with those uh worked in graphic design i was building websites this is the early 2000s i was building websites uh to make some scratch while Mm. i was in school um and uh but was painting and i had goals like i wanted to learn how to draw like a photograph and i wanted to learn how to paint and i was meeting all my goals so i got to my final year and uh, i went to the graphic design head and i said um you know, I, I recognize that the graphic design final project is you have to build a publication, but I would much rather do a bunch of paintings and do a show, do an exhibition and to appease my graphic design, you know, major, I could mm. build all the collateral materials that go with it, the website, brochure, a postcard, like all that stuff. And um, the head of the department got really upset with me, really insulted. And by this point, I had taken all the graphic design courses for the major. And um, so she got mad and she like changed my major without telling me, which I guess is sort of <laughs> kicking me out of the department. Like, it sounds like you want to be a painter and not a, not a designer. Right. So right. Um, <laughs> this is what you're going to so do. My major was changed. Yeah. My, my major was painted, I uh, changed the painting. And, um, and I ultimately uh, had like one extra class. I had to think I had to take to fulfill that um, and couldn't fulfill a double major within the same program. Um, so graphic design and, uh, painting and drawing and those things, um, in the middle of that, I had a, I had a performance art class I took and it was really stupid. I hated it so much. And it was like a class I just had to take. And, um, everybody was kind of, I don't know, they were like a bunch of hippies, you know, it was just like <laughs> one girl was talking about miming being a, an important right. performance medium and like, you know, and just, especially like for the first time you're starting to learn about Dadaism and like all these sort of random performance sort of based art pieces. They were avant-garde of their time. And, and, uh, and I kind of hated it, but the professor introduced me uh, to James Luna's work and that changed everything for me. Um, It, it was an artist I could concentrate on to learn about his, his unapologetic indigenous voice. Um, Mm -hmm. I wasn't interested in performance art at all, but it became a really interesting medium. And in watching him sort of not just perform, but also embody his own sense of identity outwardly. And it didn't come out trite. It didn't come out uh, like that. It was forced, which, you know, I was in college. I was trying really hard to be a native artist. and I wanted to, work on these subjects and it was not working. It came out very, very forced and trite. And so seeing that I found to be really attractive um, and that changed everything. It absolutely changed everything. So what is your artistic uh, uh, process? How do you choose your subjects and mediums and how do you approach your creative work since you're a multimedia artist? Yeah. You know, in the beginning, um, and I think this is, I think this is uh, somewhat standard for artists that are, for native artists that are kind of starting out. I think um, activism and, and sort of social and, and cultural and political discourse becomes an important part of our voices. And so in the beginning, it was very much a, uh, a collective voice that was happening, mm-hmm. um, that I was speaking on collective issues and wasn't being personal about it. Um, I mean, it's personal to me. But like I wasn't right. in it, it was very much uh, on that activist tip and living in the D.C. area and being part of uh, one of many voices uh, speaking on the um, mascot debate of the time. Um, 
that was very much like where my head was at. Once I got past my first performance piece and, um, and the sort of design work that I was doing for the art and activism uh, that I was working on, um, it took a moment for me to try to recalibrate and try to find out like, where am I going? What am I doing? Um, I think, I don't know, you know, it's, it's, it depends on what it is and it depends on, I, I, so, I suppose how it presents. Um, my graphic design work is still very much on that propagandist sort of art activism style when I'm doing it. Um, but my personal work, um, I'm, I'm trying to really think internally about where I'm at, what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, what my experiences are, what's important to me, trying to find parallels to those things and trying to find ways to articulate that. And that could be dictated by uh, the need of an exhibition um, you know, the medium that I want to work in, uh, you know, all, all the above. Um, I have a lot of different tools in my fingertips, so I'm spending time definitely going, uh, you know, do I want to do this or want to do this? You know, right, right now I'm working on, um, stuff that's very much conceptual and, um, kind of three-dimensional in its presentation. Um, but I have a lot of canvases sitting in my studio right now, cause I'm getting ready to paint and because I want to paint and I love painting. Um, and so I'm, I'm preparing myself for that. It's not uncommon for me to work on anywhere from three to 10 projects at the same time. So um, always something going on. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, 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 uh, it takes care of that itch, you know, a little bit right. of painting, a little bit of performance, a <laughs> little bit. Yeah. So yeah, what I'm, tribal, I'm just, I'm always looking. What tribal affiliation are you? Um, I'm enrolled, uh, the Pyramid Lake Paiute tribe. Um, that is where my mom, uh, was, was born and, uh, where her father was from, um, for among the Paiutes, um, enrollment is dictated by the next patriarch in your family. Um, and so that's my grandfather who was from Pyramid Lake. Um, and that's home, uh, in, in terms of my tribal home, we got family and stuff still out there. So. Many artists draw from their cultural traditions and stories. How do you incorporate your Native American heritage into your art? And is there any message or narrative that you're trying to or hoping to convey? Yeah, I. It's interesting because I think we 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 have these pitfalls as Native people that there's some tribes um, that are outwardly sexier than other in terms of their cultural wares and right. the, the way that they carry themselves. Um, and so it's hard not to fall into those pitfalls. I've been trying really hard to figure out ways to do that because my people are um, Great Basin people. They're uh, desert people. Um, mm -hmm. Our reservation's about 30 miles outside of Reno. And, um, and so it's a desert out there. Um, and so for the longest time, I think I was feeling a lot of, um, I don't know, trepidation or, or, um, really not understanding like culturally things that I could find or see. Um, and it's always funny because I think when stuff like that happens, the answer is always like much closer to you than you think. Right. And then realizing that um, like our, our tribal community makes baskets and looking at these old baskets, you know, from the, uh, the mid 1800s and recognizing the patterns that are woven into those baskets and recognizing that these are symbols that have existed for thousands of years, that has been a really big concentration of mine, figuring out what these textile patterns are, which of these textile patterns actually overflow into other communities as well. Um, there's certain symbology that uh, definitely has crossover, an intertribal crossover. Um, so tribally, my concentration has been on textiles whether I incorporate that in the background, which is sort of where I was starting um, mm -hmm. to actually putting it more in the foreground. And so I've been doing more of that. Um, but I, I think it's also an interesting statement on time because these things have existed for thousands of years and they still exist. And to be an artist and to take something that has existed in one form and to put it in a separate medium, but keep the integrity of the form or of the, right. uh, of the symbology and putting it in a different medium is just this sort of 
incredible statement of time that these things exist through time and that they're perpetuated through new mediums that allow us to be able to consume them and see them and take them in, uh, in ways that are not necessarily attached to, um, you know, a tool or, or to something that's got a practical purpose. Um, and that becomes really interesting. So yeah, that's where I've been sort of working on. Are there any particular artists both within and outside the native community who have influenced your style or perspective? Um, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, you know, look, I, I, I didn't grow up in our tribal community and my understanding and sort of comeuppance about, um, indigenous artists was, um, pretty new kind of a learning as I go. I learned some things in college and then from there, just really trying to find out what else is out there and what else, um, what else exists. So I'm very much sort of on that, like American contemporary end of things. Um, I'm, I use a lot of spray paint. I use acrylic. I use oil, um, screen printing. I mean, the, a lot of these things are tools of, of a contemporary, you know, artistic trade. Um, you know, there's artists that uh, have always inspired me. Gerard Richter. Um, I love Damien Hirst and some of his his found work. Uh, Matthew Barney, Frida Kahlo, um, and James Luna has always been at the top of that list. Uh, coming on to look at Fritz Scholder's work, but not just his work, but also um, his life, which I think is an interesting mm-hmm. context to his work um, because it's really sort of all over the place. Um, in that respect, but then there's contemporaries too. Um, uh, Ernesto Yena is a, uh, uh, Yaki Chicano, uh, graphic designer that I really love his work. Um, um, Cheyenne Randall, who's doing, uh, he's a Lakota guy doing, um, uh, photoshops, tattoos and large prints and, uh, wheat paste, um, and uh, Nani Chacon, who's just doing this, you know, incredible, she's an incredible painter and she has these large scale pieces, um, some of which are mural work. And it just really is pushing the grain of the identity of being native and being Chicana and, and, and um, sort of the movements that are happening in between right. those spaces that are just absolutely beautiful. Um, Wendy Redstar, I think, is always channel- challenging. Uh, Jeffrey Gibson, I love watching. I'm obsessed with Kent Mungman's work. So there, there's work that I'm definitely like, um, would always look to from the past and starting to move into, uh, as, uh, in the present, these are a lot of these people are my peers, um, people that I really like, uh, Jared Yazi or not Jared Yazi, uh, Stephen Yazi, um, is a painter here in Denver. Um, he, he had a big piece at the, um, at the herd, it was called uh, "Fear of a Red Planet." Um, that's the first place that, I ever. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was the first place I saw his work, and he's a good friend of mine now, and he's doing some abstract work that is just really hurting my feelings. It's so good, <laughs> um, and that's what I look for. I want to find work that's so good that it hurts my feelings. Right? It's challenging me. Yeah, to it think pushes you. Yeah, what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a guy here in uh, in Denver. Um, his name is. Um, I just totally blanked. Um, there's this guy in Denver that is doing some like really, really incredible work. Uh, JC Bale, a Navajo guy, um, who I became friends with and who's like his graphic design, his painting and design, like everything is coming together into this painting process that is just absolutely beautiful, beautiful to look at and beautiful to think about. Yeah. Do you uh, self-reflect sometimes and see the transition in, of your journey and how you've kind of uh, taken your own story? It's like, oh, wow, I, I remember doing this. I need to start thinking about that process or that message that you're trying to relay. Yeah, I'm like just old enough that I'm like my my parents' generation um, had the capital to buy convertibles and let, you know, hair run through their balding heads. Um, for my generation, we're, it, it's it, our midlife crisis is an existential crisis. I spend an inordinate amount of time thinking about how I came through this, how this came about, how that came about, um, going through old stuff and seeing something that like 
that hits really nicely, but never went anywhere. So you can mm-hmm. pick it up and yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about that a lot, but also thinking about it in terms of um, accessibility. I got five kids and, and my oldest is 17, a senior in high school, and they're going to be going off to college soon and they want to be an artist. So I'm also thinking about it from that angle. The accessibility that Sage has is so much different than what I had. Like I've had to figure it out and fumble through and all that. Sage has access to things. And I think that that's also incredible. And I wish I had had access to more of that. And how do we get our young people who maybe don't have parents that are artists to have access to, to things like that too. So I think a lot about that too. Is there, what motivates you and inspires you to create? I think I'm compelled to create. I mean, yeah. I, I don't think I have a, I don't think I have a choice. Um, I don't know. My, my people believe that this is medicine, you know, that, that right. there's several different kinds of medicine people and an artist is a medicine person. And so I'm beholden to that medicine. And um, yeah, I don't, I, I, I think I'm always creating, you know, I'm like a shark, you know, if I stop creating, I'm going to die. Um, it is my life's work. It is my voice. The line between my work and my life is so blurred that I oftentimes can't tell the difference mm-hmm. between the two. Um, so I'm compelled to do it. Um, but I also recognize that I'm really lucky to be able to do it. A lot of people, and as an adult, I've found that there's a lot of people walking through this life that like don't have anything except, you know, capitalism. <laughs> and so it's just like <laughs> it, that that's hard, you know, like, and so I feel lucky to have something like that. Yeah. Is there any pieces that you can think of in your, during this journey that you like, that was the point where I really thought, okay, I am an artist. This is a career. This is a profession and I'm good at what I do. Yeah. I don't know if I ever land on, I'm good at what I do. Um, I'll be honest. Like, I think I'm a crappy painter. Um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. I mean, my very first performance piece, um, the last American Indian on earth, um, which was a pretty divisive piece, I think, but it got a lot of national attention. That's really probably the thing that got me going as far as like a, a, a career that had like a national eye on it. And, um, mm-hmm. I think that was a moment where I was just like, okay, so like this can happen. Um, but also just sort of came into just deciding to concentrate on art. Cause like my family, we, we were on the receiving end of the 2008, uh, you know, sort of financial crisis, the housing crisis. Um, it affected everything uh, to the degree that I had to figure something out. And it became that like making art and trying to hustle it out on social media became more, mm-hmm. more practical, more lucrative than, you know, bagging groceries at a, at a grocery store. And, um, and so I think that hustle was always there. And so I, I don't know, like, I think more, it's like we did it. I did it because I had to, um, I found some notoriety in a couple of pieces and then be, was able, have been able to obviously keep that going as I continue it, yeah. moving and have a career. I, but there is a moment where I'm like, I'm making work in my garage, which is my studio space. Um, I'm making arts and crafts in my studio space and I'm selling it for top dollar. Like that's wild to me. <laughs> like people are people across the U.S. are making crafts in their house all day long, and, right. and I'm making stuff that's like in the Denver Art Museum and like for a Smithsonian show. Like that's that's wild to me. Um, so I, so I don't think it's a moment necessarily of like, oh, I can make a living at this. Um, I, I don't think I ever doubted the fact that I just didn't have a choice. I had to figure out how to make this work. Um, Sink or there swim. is the moment where I'm just like, yeah. There's a moment where you're like, like people actually are going to pay money for this. Like that's, that part's kind of, <laughs> kind of wild to me. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about some of the pieces or work that you're creating now. Um, ooh. Working on some new paintings um, that are sort of juxtaposing um, something that's tied to our contemporary tradition. Uh, like say a can of spam um, 
with something that is coupled within the perception of indigenous existence, um, which of course is not related to the reality of indigenous existence. So the idea of like, you know, those old uh, Edward Curtis images, mm-hmm. you know, and, and sort of the, the so-called dignity that's, that's attached to that, the, right. which feeds into the romanticism of the, you know, the um, uh, warrior or whatever, like next to a can of spam. Like, what does that look like? Cause like, <laughs> we love this image, even as natives, we love this image. Um, but also, you know, like there's this relationship that we have with commodity cheese. So, you know, it, it just, there's these weird connections between reality and perception. And so I'm playing with some work that's about that. Um, I'm getting into a little bit of print working work, uh, which I love because I can sort of use some design work there with some other painterly uh, elements. Um, Mm -hmm. I just did a performance piece for the Museum of Contemporary Art in Denver um, for an exhibition called Cowboy. And they invited a lot of different artists from from different ethnicities and identities to sort of do a version of the cowboy and so i worked with a a good friend of mine um on a garment uh, basically a jacket that goes to just uh, past my knees with a a large collar on the top of it uh, made out of a black fox fur um, that comes up to about here on my eyes and i'm wearing a um a tall hat uh or a uh, they're like the old West caps. So they're flat on the brim and, but really tall, like the Billy Jack hat kind of. Right. Um, right. And uh, took some like lever action rifles from the 1800s um, and some peacemakers also from the 1800s or they're replicas. So they don't work, um, but they look and feel like real, real firearms um, embellished them, uh, hung some things from them. Um, and then the inside of the garment that I'm wearing, there's a tapestry of John Wayne. And, uh, but we like, we blacked out his eyes in red with embroidery, put like a cross, like <laughs> between his eyes and like a tear and then gave him like fangs. Um, so he's like John Wayne, but like some, some like, like almost graffitied version of him. And so the piece <laughs> is a performance piece where I'm walking around and, and the, the embellishments hanging from the rifle are the uh, aluminum cones that you'd find on a jingle dress. And they have this very distinct sound when they, they knock into each other. And so I'm holding the rifle this way. So it's dangling here and it's dangling beneath my arm. And I'm just silently walking, walking around in this outfit where you can only see my eyes. And um, I took a, some, some inspiration from, some old images that I found, you know, and, and there's, there's pictures of uh, ceremonies that shouldn't have be pictures of um, uh, or different things. Like there's a group of, I think they're Pueblos and they have blankets and they're all the way up on their, on mm-hmm. their faces. There's like three or four of them. And so I was pulling from some of these images that like non-native people look at and they're like, Oh, that's creepy or that's ghostly. And so I, I, wanted to create a garment that worked sort of within that vein, something that is indigenous, but something that seems almost otherworldly, um, but mm-hmm. also something that's inherently contemporary, sort of on a futuristic idea of like, what would our ceremonies look like? What would our dress look like if we were allowed to participate in trade and in diplomacy as opposed to colonialism? And, um, that certain things that we do now are sort of stuck in that, you know, mid 1800s, mid to late 1800s. If we were given space to progress, like would our beadwork be different? Would our garments be different? Would our ceremonies be different? Because right. we are native people, I think as a whole are pretty progressive. And so I'm wearing, um, with all that, I've got uh, animal fur leggings uh, from a, from an elk hide. Um, and then, uh, but I'm also wearing, um, some uh the panda dunks the black and white nike dunks and so like there's all these elements (laughs) that look very but then i've got these nikes on and um and just move around the space and i don't talk and i don't make any moves so it's this idea of presence and i love this concept because i created something that's a performance piece but it's also an installation piece if you go to the museum the garment is hanging with the hat um there's a an 
couple eagle feathers coming off of it. And beneath the garment, which is open so you can see the John Wayne tapestry, mm-hmm. and beneath the garment is almost like a ceremonial space. It's a half circle, and there's cans of spam, and the rifles are there, and the handguns are there, and there's some sage, um, and there's dirt that makes up the half circle. So there's all these elements. It's like, you know, bead work, beads. I left beads. So there's like strings of beads and dirt. And, you know, these weapons and sage and there's a conch shell with, you know, burnt sage in there. And so there's all these elements that are very native, but then there's like, you know, spam and then this garment. (laughs) And, uh, and I love this idea of the push and pull of past and present and, and also installation and having something that like that, that installation is, is, it's not permanent like it Mm -hmm. somebody could come along and hit it and it would not be permanent and i love the idea of creating impermanence in work too so i've been playing with that too the idea of impermanence and um and earth products you know dirt and rocks and things um not to sound like a you know new ager or something but i just (laughs) just something there's something there's something very cool about having a jar of dirt from my homelands Right. I can like, I can touch and I can hold and I can, I don't know. So yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. I'm definitely in a new phase of, uh, of uh, conceptual work and work that can actually is three dimensional in form mm-hmm. as opposed to a painting. Um, so I'm definitely in that headspace right now too. Sorry, that was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, this might seem like a, uh, a redundant question, but do you take challenges and risk? Because obviously you do, but how do you see yeah. yourself taking those challenges and risk? I think I have to. Um, and, and those challenges and risks are in a state of constantly questioning myself, questioning what's important, questioning what I'm willing to do and willing to say. Um, obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm not against controversy. Um, but mm-hmm. I am against needless controversy. It needs to be rooted in truth. It needs to be rooted in something that makes sense to me. Um, I'm working on a piece right now um, for a show next year. And I'm in the conceptual form right now. I'm trying to figure out how to pull things together. Um, but by all intents and purposes, I'm building a crucifix out of railroad ties. And that's a controversial thing to do. I mean, the we're showing in like three places one of them is Utah. And I'm talking about building, you know, an artistic three-dimensional uh, piece, conceptual piece of a crucifix in Utah, um, mm. in Mormon country. And, and so, yeah, that's going to be probably controversial, but um, the way I'm tying in historical concepts and historical ideas of the disruption of settler colonialism, as it right. pertains particularly to westward expansion, um, yeah, there's a lot of very true statements in there that just have to be made. And so I feel like I have to make those things. Um, but I but I am in that existential crisis of mine trying to figure out ways to articulate myself that are true and hopefully provocative and, and interesting to look at. All right. Art is often uh, serves as a means of expressing expressing social and political messages have you used your art to address specific issues or to awareness about certain topics related to the indigenous community yeah um i mean that early work that i mentioned uh Mm -hmm. a lot of street art and protest work um about mascots and about pipelines um about uh identity and um appropriation i mean those those things seem to come up quite a bit um I think right now I'm just in a place of considering identity. Um, you know, my kids are pretty mixed. Uh, so they may present as, uh, as white passing, I guess. Um, even though they're members of our tribal community, like they're going to face this identity question for the rest of their life. If they are identifying as being native, because they might not look it. And, um, so I think right now I'm, I'm definitely looking at, the perception versus reality sort of concept. Um, Cause even as things progress, this is something we're still dealing with and we're still going to be dealing with. There's more TV shows, there's more music, there's more books, there's True. more yeah. art. 
Um, but we're still having to justify our existence through Western eyes. And so that's something that I've really been concentrating lately, because I do think that that perception is connected to uh, political and social ramifications of our existence as it relates to our relationship with the federal government, as it relates to um, a, a sort of cultural relationship with America at large, popular culture, all of those things are related to that, which go towards dehumanization, which goes towards missing and murdered indigenous relatives, which goes to understanding who we are, why we're here, how we're here, right. what all of that means, and sort of the duality of our existence. Oftentimes we are Native people having an American experience. And true. we live yeah, in the duality of, you know, like I like, uh, you know, I like um, Kendrick Lamar and I love the idols, this new band from the UK. Um, but like, I also know some of our songs, you know, and, and sing those and those, those are important as well. So there's this duality to our existence as well. So I, that's kind of where my head's been at uh, through my own eyes, I think at first, but has come through my, my kids' eyes as I'm watching them traverse the world. The path to becoming a, a an artist, a professional artist, I guess you could say, was there any challenges that you faced as an artist, especially one with an indigenous Native American background? And how did you overcome those yeah. challenges? I think the biggest challenge is, is uh, financial. Um, you know, a lot of the artists that are sort of on the tippy top um, are coming from privilege. Mm -hmm. uh, and Native artists that are on the tippy top um, more than likely are not coming from privilege, but have created work or have made partnerships with people that can offer that privilege to them, giving them an op an opportunity to rise up faster than, than most. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I had three kids and uh, a mortgage when we, my wife and I were like, okay, this is what we're doing. And um that was the hardest part. That's a hundred percent the hardest part. Trying to figure out how to make work and how to put food on the table, how to mm -hmm. make sure we got a roof over our heads. The hardest part. And so I've been working with Sage, my oldest, about that because obviously, you know, they're not they're not tied down to anything. And uh so it gives them an opportunity to make some calculated decisions early on so that they can make, you know, decisions about other responsibilities on top of that. It right. gives them a chance to put their art first. Uh, not having art first and trying to take care of those responsibilities was an enormous challenge that took several years of just really being broke, really broke. <laughs> um, I'm, I feel fortunate enough to have ties, you know, <clears throat> enrollment and everything else to sort of not have to traverse my identity in the same way as somebody who has to prove that they are who they are mm -hmm. through their parents or through their grandparents or, or whatever, whatever their connection may be. Um, so that's not something that I've had to really work through. Although I do think that uh, the native art scene in general is um, kind of about who, you know, and what your last name is and where you grow up. So that's a challenge. That's an interesting challenge as well. Um, but I have no complaints. It's uh, honestly the financial end of things has probably been the hardest part. Do you do commission work and do you collaborate with other artists? Yeah, um, I do commission work uh, all the time. Um, it's definitely one of the things that helps helps the, the machine keep going. Um, I have done collaborations uh, and I'm always open to collaborations. Mm -hmm. um, I think we get in this weird place where artists are really territorial. So they just, they want their thing. Right. And they don't want to, you know, they don't want to share. Um, I am of the belief that there's plenty of room for everybody. I think collaborations are great if they make sense. Um, and if, if they're appropriate. So yeah, totally. I'm totally open to that. How do you envision your art contributing to a broader understanding and appreciation of native American culture, both within and outside the indigenous community? I have no idea. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I stumped you on one. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I don't really, you know, I don't really, I, I'm not a mouthpiece for anybody. Um, especially right now I'm making work that is rooted in my own experience and, and recognizing that my experience may be a shared experience. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I, but I speak for myself. Um, I make work that makes sense to me, but um, I'm also not trying to educate anybody. Uh, I'm not trying to actively like, I'm going to make this work and it's going to change hearts and minds. Um, but also recognize that the way that it's set up for people of color in the United States, that having an opinion that's not part of the sort of grander or greater uh, opinion scale of mostly white patrons um, are going to have a different feeling about that mm-hmm. in the way that they perceive it from the way that I'm presenting it. Um, and I, And so I accept that, but I'm not doing that. I'm not trying to make a mark. Um, and, and, and while I'm arrogant, I'm, 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 tr- I'm not arrogant enough to believe, um, that I'm the guy that's going to do these things. Um, I hope I have a legacy that's left. I hope I contribute something. I hope that something I do makes sense or matters to someone. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that's all I can hope for, for me to think that I'm anything other than that that hope um i think is is too much i think it's too too arrogant for for me to to say i i just yeah that's it's weird and but with, at the same time like i know i know you know like people hated fritz Scholler's work uh natives hated fritz Scholler's work and non-natives loved his work and um but it's flipped now like he, he has right. importance in native circles and um, because of certain things that he did and certain things that he said and way his work presents. And so those things change, but um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. So yeah, you did. You stopped me. <laughs> What's next for you, Greg deal? Uh, you know, never not working. Um, <laughs> I got a show next year. Um, I think in may called other side of the tracks a bunch mm-hmm. of uh, artists from different uh, identities doing some pretty hardcore contemporary work. Um, and I'm making new work. So we'll, we'll see what happens. I had two, no, three solo exhibitions last year. And um, I think that opened me up to uh, not have too much going on this year, mm-hmm. um, but it's not terrible. So uh, yeah, new work coming up. Uh, new concepts, new ideas, um, and uh, new hope. Yeah. Do you do the art market circuit? I don't. Um, I've had, uh, I think, one or two pieces in a gallery adjacent to uh, art market when it uh, is rolling through Santa Fe. Um, but no, I haven't done uh, any of the art markets uh, circuit at all. So if there's any one particular piece that you would say stands out that is your heart and soul to date, what piece would that be? Jeez. Good question. I mean, I just did this uh, work called the others. It's a series of um, reappropriated old comic book images from the forties and fifties that are shifted ever so slightly. So, the narrative is set so the Indians are winning and mm-hmm. uh, or making a strong statement. And I, I took the dialogue out from the original comic books and, and I added in lyrics from like punk rock music. And, um, and it, it sounds like it's from like the indigenous struggle. So like right. there's a, there's one about gentrification, a song about gentrification. And there's a line in there. It says uh, it's been 30 years. It's time for you to leave. It don't matter. Or it, it's time for you to leave. It doesn't matter if you've been here for 30 years which is about gentrification, but like could sound like Indian removal. Um, but I flipped it so that the native is saying that to the colonialists. And, um, and that I think became a really integral part because it was on the outset, something that looked like it made sense. Um, but personally like meant a lot to me. Um, but I have this 20 foot long and eight foot tall painting that I did um, that was in a show last year called never forget. And the entire thing is abstract um, and it's got textile uh, textile patterns and drips and chunks and just all of these different things. And then I painted into it um, with a matte black paint that absorbs light. So from certain angles, it pops and you can see these images that are from 
um, like 1950s illustrations of a white boy wearing a headdress, like hitting his mouth, mm-hmm. uh, the Lone Ranger and Tonto, or, you know, statements about colonial death or, you know, whiteness and greatness. And so there's all these little things hidden in the painting that are meant to be there so that the painting is still what it is, but that there's these little things that exist with a statement of, of not forgetting what has happened and not forgetting how we got here and not forgetting where we are. Um, it's the biggest painting I've ever done on canvas. And, um, and I'm in love with it. I don't have a studio that's big enough to hold that. I did it in four foot by five foot panels. And so I had to tile everything, but I can only do four at a time. <laughs> so I didn't see it together until we hung it in the gallery and um, just absolutely loved like just the the journey of being like going from representative painting and portraits to like going to a place of like mixing some abstract with portraits over the top to leaning on an abstract process that I've been developing over the last 10 years and allowing these textile patterns to come through. Um, I think that's my favorite painting. It's just so damn big, but I think it's my favorite painting. <laughs> Do you have your own collection of your pieces that you just, don't want to give up? Um, I have a painting. The last painting I did uh, before I left college, um, I still have, uh, which was this oil painting um, portrait that I did of a friend. Um, and and I just, I executed it for myself. It was perfect. And, and I was so happy with it. I still have that. Um, my wife, I did a, a piece that was kind of, uh, I might have it here. Yeah. I did a piece, um, that is just like three colors. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did a mural of it and I did a print of it and I've done a couple of paintings of it and my wife wanted one. Um, and so we have our, our main floor, the kitchen, the living room, dining room area. It's just one big open room. And there's one wall that's like almost 10 feet tall that goes to the upstairs. And so she wanted a 10 foot tall painting. And so I have that <laughs> image, but it's blue. It's in like some, uh, it's in a blue monochrome. Um, it's in my house. Everything else is fluid. Like I have a wall in uh, a side room that is top to bottom, just art, like salon style. And I've got a couple of my paintings in there. And my wife was so excited. Like we got this wall and then a show came along and I took about three paintings off the wall to put it <laughs> in the show and they never came back. So so yeah, nothing stays very long. There's a couple of pieces that are kicking around, um, but not too many. <laughs> so Greg, is there anything you want to share with us that we haven't covered? Where can um, people find you? A, yeah, uh, gregdeal.com. Um, my Instagram is probably the most current stuff that happens. I try to update my website, but usually only happens once a year. Um at Greg Deal is my Instagram. I'm constantly posting there. It's a nice mix of uh, art and family and bikes, uh, bicycles. And um, yeah, I accidentally put a band together. So that happened. So I have a, we have a record <laughs> that we're actually out. We're on Spotify. It's called Dead Pioneers, um, which is this kind of little project that's tied to a performance piece I did. We accidentally ended up doing this band, but we have vinyls uh, coming out. And I think I have a, we did cassettes too. So I have a, oh, there it is. I have a, a cassette of my record. And uh, I worked with um, Cheyenne Randall, uh, my friend and also artist. And he took a seventh grade picture of me and he put tattoos on the face. Um, <laughs> so that's, that's the record cover for Dead Pioneers. Um, but yeah, kind of going with analogs, so I got cassettes. Um, and we have vinyls showing up here soon. Um, but mostly just having a good time with it. And so there's songs on there. Like we were, uh, like bad Indian and, uh, we were punk first. Um, some little, like, you know, little indigenous dog whistles. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Well, sir, I appreciate your time and it's been a joy to have you on the show. I hope you enjoyed yourself and, uh, much yeah, success you. to you. No, I appreciate you. Appreciate you a lot. Well, take care and we'll chat soon. Thank you. That's good. Thank you for embarking on this artistic journey with us. Keep exploring, keep creating. Until we meet again, let your imagination soar beyond the art. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on your preferred podcast platform.